0: J. Michael Edwards here. If you think things have been heating up, well, grab a cool towel because things are really getting hot now. The earth dwellers are about to experience the coming of the one they have been rejecting for thousands of years. It's not pretty. Grab your Bibles and notebooks and get ready as Pastor Don teaches a lesson called When the Judge Calls His Court to Order.
1: Welcome back to the classroom here in the Majestic Academy. Let me say this before we get started. I, I hope, and I've said this before, I hope you've started at the beginning, all the way back even to uh, the introduction and the trailer, um, and have listened to all 37 episodes, 1 through 37. If you're here today and, and this is your first episode, I'm going to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to all the rest because these won't make much sense if you don't go back and get the foundation of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, having said that, let's, uh, let's take a look at a lesson called, uh, or an episode, a lesson uh, when the judge calls his court to order. We're going to read uh, Revelation 14 and verses 14 through 20. And I looked. And behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud once sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Father, help me to expound upon these verses. Father, help us to open our, our minds to this, our understanding. To these important verses here in the book of the Revelation, in Jesus' name, Amen. These are these are very uh, interesting and hard to understand verses if you don't have context. This uh, this episode, when the judge calls his court to order, let me start by reminding you that the book of the Revelation is not written in chronological order. The first three chapters, and this is why you need to go back and catch up all these other episodes because you'll understand what I'm saying here. The first three chapters tell of our Lord's letters to seven actual churches that existed in John's day. These chapters also paint a clear portrait of the church all the way from Pentecost to the rapture. And chapters 4 through 11 tell us about the chronology of the tribulation period. They take us all the way from the beginning to the end of that terrible seven year period of time. In chapters 12 through 14, we are taken back to the beginning. These chapters give us the same time period from a different perspective. We are no longer talking about the chronology of the book, we are now confronted with the characters of the book. Through a series of seven visions, John takes us once again through the days of the Tribulation. In our study of this book, we have arrived at the seventh of these visions. These verses close out the pause in the action we have been in since chapter 12, verse 1. When this chapter ends, we are going to be thrown back into the heat and the horrors of the final days of the Tribulation. Before we deal with those things, John gives us a vision of our Lord when He comes again in power and glory. When Jesus came the first time, He came as a Savior. He came to give His life on the cross that sin might be paid for and sinners might be set free. When He comes a second time, He is coming as a judge. He is coming to destroy sin, Satan, and all those who stand in defiance to God. When Jesus returns, he will come in power, glory, and judgment, and none will be able to withstand him. There will be no cross for Jesus the next time he comes. There will be a crown. There will be no tree for him to hang on, but there will be a throne for him to sit upon. So let's move through these verses and catch the vision that John shares of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the coming days of his terrible judgment. I want to teach and preach on the subject when the judge calls his court to order. As I do, I want to show you the parts here, are the parts of John's vision. Um, verse 14, we see the Lord and his returning. The first image we are given is of the Lord himself sitting upon a cloud wearing a crown with a sickle in his hand. So let me, uh, you may not know what a sickle is. Uh, this is kind of an old world term. We don't use sickles anymore. Uh, I used a sickle when I was, uh, when I was younger. Uh, we didn't have weed eaters back then. There's no such thing as a weed eater. Uh, we have weed eaters now and I, I like my weed eater. I actually have two of them. Uh, but a sickle was held in your hand. It, was a, it had a curved blade. It was quite sharp, and you would take, and you would hold that blade. Uh, I held mine left to right because I'm right-handed, and it was curved. And you would swing that blade, and it would cut down the long grass or the hay, whatever you're cutting. Uh, it won't do trimming around the house. We actually use a pair of scissors, kind of a kind of a scissors trimmer for that. But uh, this this uh, sickle would cut down things like hay and wheat and long grass. So with a sickle, he had a sickle in his hand. So let's examine this image in more detail. We see his person. There is no doubt about whom John is writing. He is writing about the Son of Man. As you may remember, this was one of the titles given to the Lord Jesus when he came to this earth the first time. Jesus used this title to refer to himself some 84 times in the Gospels. It was the way he most often referred to himself. This title identifies Jesus with mankind. It is his human title. It speaks to his sufferings, his service, and his sacrifice. When John sees the Son of Man in the clouds, he is seen the one who came to this earth and gave his life as a ransom for sin. John is seeing Jesus Christ himself. Of course, we are promised that Jesus Christ will come in this fashion. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then Luke writes in verse uh, chapter 21, verse 27, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. John is giving us a preview of that glorious day when Jesus Christ will return in glory and in power. Then we see his position. When John sees Jesus, he sees him wearing a golden crown. The word crown translates the word for a victor's crown. It refers to the laurel wreaths that were given out to victors in the ancient Olympic games. The fact that this crown is golden identifies the wearer as a king. Not that laurel wreath, but a golden crown. This identifies him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. When John sees Jesus Christ this time, he does not see a carpenter. He does not see a humble Jewish rabbi. He does not see Jesus of Nazareth. He does not see the son of Mary. When John sees Jesus here, he sees the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sees the one who invaded Satan's territory and carries off a great victory. He sees the one who walked valiantly into the jaws of death, shedding his blood on the cross to defeat sin and Satan and liberate sinners. He sees the one who walked victoriously out of that tomb on the third day. John sees the king who has come to take possession of his domain. When Jesus comes back, there will be no debate. The United Nations will not convene to see whether he can reign or not. When he comes, he will be wearing the golden crown of the victor. This just means that all the battles have already been fought, and he is the winner. Jesus will not rule by the leave of men. He will rule by his right as Creator, as Lord, as Savior, and King. We see his power. John sees that the king, he has a sharp sickle in his hand. A sickle is an instrument used to harvest wheat. I explained that. When Jesus returns, he is coming to both gather his people into his barn as a farmer gathers his wheat, and he is coming to cut down the wicked like a farmer cuts down his wheat. We will see this truth unfold here as we move along in this lesson. For now, it needs to be said that Jesus can either be your savior or he can be your judge. If you will receive him in these days of grace, he will save you and take you to heaven. If you reject him, he will stand in judgment of your life one day. He will either be your savior or he will hold court and he will be your judge. My friends, the choice is yours. And so we looked at the Lord and his returning Now let's look at the Lord and His reaping in verses 5-19. through These verses unfold our Lord's plan to bring judgment to this earth. When He came the first time, He came as as a sower. He moved through this world sowing the seeds of the gospel of grace. When He returns, He will come as the reaper. He will separate the saint from the sinner. He will take the saints home to heaven. And the sinner will be cast into hell there are two harvests described in these verses harvest time in the bible is often used as a picture of souls coming to god for salvation we see in john 4:34 and 35 jesus saith unto him my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work say not ye there are four months and then cometh the harvest behold I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. In these verses, the harvest is used as a picture of judgment. So let's see what these verses have to say about the harvests the Lord is going to reap someday. In verses 15 and 16, we see the reaping of the grain. These two verses describe the Lord Jesus as showing him thrusting in his sickle to reap the earth. The world is pictured as a field of wheat that is ready to be harvested. The Lord takes his sickle and he reaps the field. What we are seeing in these verses share the fulfillment of a parable Jesus told in the Gospel in Matthew 13 verses 24 through 30. In these verses Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's the story of a farmer who sowed a wheat field expecting to reap a bountiful harvest. But his enemy came and sowed tares among his wheat. The servants wanted to pull up the tares, but the farmer knew that doing so would destroy the wheat also. His counsel was for both to grow together until the time of harvest. Then the tares could be gathered and burned, and the wheat could be gathered and placed in the farmer's barn. In the same chapter, uh, Matthew 13, 36-43, Jesus told his disciples what this parable meant. The good seed represented genuine believers, while the tares represented false believers. The good seed represents the saved and the tares represent the lost. The problem with the wheat and the tares is that the two cannot be told apart while they're growing. The tares, which is a plant called the bearded darnel, look just like wheat as it matures. The difference between the two plants becomes clear when they near harvest time. The head or top of the tare turns black and stands up straight. It is filled with tiny black seeds that can cause nausea, even death. It is a natural emetic. when it tears are harvested with the wheat. Every kernel must be inspected. The wheat, on the other hand, has a head filled with heavy kernels of wheat. These kernels cause, cause the head of wheat uh, to bend towards the earth. The obvious contrast between the saved and the lost is that a Christian will bow to the Lord. Humbly, they will bow towards the earth. A non-Christian full of pride will stand up straight. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. Look at me, look at me. They stand up straight. And their head's empty, by the way. (laughs) But a Christian full of humility bowing to their Savior. There's an image for you. But one day Jesus will gather his wheat, the genuine believers unto himself. The wicked will be cut down and cast into a fiery furnace. The judgment of the Lord is coming, and the Lord knoweth them that are his. The word ripe here is an interesting word. It means to be dry or withered. It speaks of a crop that is overripe. What a picture of the grace and what a picture of the grace and long suffering of God! The harvest of sin has been ripe since the first sin was committed in Eden. Yet God, in His grace, love and mercy, has withheld judgment, giving lost men and women ample time to repent. One day His patience will be exhausted, and His judgment will come on sinners. You need to search your heart and give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Uh, well, wonder why the Lord is not returning even now. What's he waiting for? Everything's set. This world is a mess. Israel became a nation in 1948. There's nothing left in prophecy. It's all been fulfilled. What's left? I believe the Lord is waiting for the last person to come to him. I believe that Jesus, in His grace and mercy, is waiting for that last individual to come to Him, and then He will return the clouds, and we will hear those words come up hither. Is that person you, maybe? You're listening to my voice, and you're not saved. Maybe that last person is you. Won't you get saved? If you're that last person, we can all go to heaven. (laughs) I'm not being too, too facetious here, but, but seriously, I believe in His grace Jesus is waiting, waiting for someone else to get saved. So uh, moving along here, in verses 17-19 through 19, we see the reaping of the grapes. Now the scene changes and we move to the, from the field to the vineyard. The lost are compared to a field of grapes that is ripening, ripe to the bursting. They are already ready to be harvested. When grapes are harvested, they are placed in a wine press. In those days, grapes were processed by placing them in a wine press. A wine press usually consisted of two vats connected by a channel. The grapes were placed in the upper chamber and the people would climb into the wine press and use their feet to crush the grapes, extracting their juice. The juice would run out of the upper vat through the channel into the lower vat where it would be collected for wine making. Again, we are given a picture of a world slated for, for judgment. This world has rejected Jesus, who is the true vine. They have attached themselves to the vine of this world, and they have drunk deeply of the wine of sin and have rejected the God of glory. This world has rejected God and his son Jesus, but one day, one day, he will come and they will face him in judgment. He will crush this world system and all those who hold to it under his feet, just like a man crushes a grape. This is the very image Isaiah paints in the coming of the king in Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 6. Jesus is coming in wrath and judgment and there will be no escape. The enemies of God will be thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God, and they will be judged. In verse 20, we see the Lord in his reckoning. Verse 20 concludes John's vision. It gives us some insight into where this great judgment will take place. There is coming a day of reckoning, and this verse gives much-needed insight to that horrible event. The place of his reckoning. This verse tells us that the winepress was trodden about the city. Without, I'm sorry, without the city. This does not tell us where this event will take place. However, we are seeing in these verses that our vision of a coming battle called Armageddon. You've all heard of that. According to Revelation sixteen sixteen, a terrible battle will take place, Uh, and I believe that that uh, it is this battle that is being pictured in our text right here. Armageddon means the hill or city of Megiddo. Megiddo is located in the plain of Esdralon. This location is the site of some famous biblical battles. It was where here that Barak and Deborah defeated the Canaanites in Judges 4 and 5. It was here that Gideon defeated the Midianites in Judges 6 through 8. The same valley is the place that both King Saul and Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle in 1 Samuel 31. King Josiah also met his death in the Valley of Megiddo in 2 Chronicles 35. It is the same valley where the armies of the earth will gather together to destroy the King of Kings. It is here in this place that Napoleon described as a natural battlefield. In that final battle of the earth, this is where it's going to be fought. We see the pain of his reckoning. We are told that he, that the winepress will be trodden. This word means to crush with the feet. This is the very vivid description of what Jesus will do to those who have despised and rejected Him. Like a man crushing grapes in a winepress, He will crush the enemies of God under His feet. This is a promise in the Word of God. Let me read this for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 24-28 Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. A person can either be crushed under his feet or be held in his arms. The sinner can either be the focus of God's wrath or of God's grace. If I were you, if you're out there unsaved, I would be certain that I was saved so that I might miss out on this terrible time of judgment. Even if you are a believer and you haven't been truly born again, you may want to consider where you're at. The permanence of his reckoning, the permanence, what we are witnessing here is total destruction of the enemies of the Lord. This is not a probation period. This is not a judgment that will be lifted after a while. This is total annihilation, as far as the physical man is concerned. The image here is one of violence and death. We are told that the blood will run as high as a horse's bridles. This is between four and five feet deep. It will flow in a river some 1600 furlongs long. This is about 200 miles. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine the carnage here. Uh, we can't conceive this amount of blood. It was said by Josephus that so much blood flowed through the streets of Jerusalem when Titus sacked the city that many of the fires that had been said to destroy Jerusalem were actually put out by the blood that poured from the bodies of slain Jews. The armies of the world will gather in a final attempt to defy God. Jesus will return and by his word he will destroy the enemies of God and tread them down in the winepress of his wrath. Hundreds of millions of soldiers will die in this catastrophic battle. We see that in Revelation 19:11 through 21 and we'll get to that here in a few, a few episodes. The blood of the fallen will fill the valley of Megiddo from, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Men have rejected the precious, saving, life, life-changing blood of Christ. Now they will wallow in their own blood. So in conclusion, uh, we read of these events... And we can't comprehend such total devastation, yet the Bible says it's coming. In fact, some of the Old Testament prophets wrote about these very events. Let me, let me read from Zechariah 14 verses 1-4. through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall be removed towards the north, and half towards the south. In Joel 311 11-13, it says, Assemble yourselves, and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. O Lord, let the heathen be wakened, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, Get you down, for the press is full, the vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. And Joel 3.14 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This great battle is going to take place. And guess what? God will be victorious. So I don't know whether any person in this academy will be on this earth when, battle, when this battle takes place. I hope not. But I do know this, some in this room may be where Joel spoke of in Joel 3.14. You may be in the valley of decision. You need to decide right now whether you will claim the blood of Jesus and the salvation that supplies, or whether you will face Him someday to shed the blood of destruction. His blood saves you. Your blood condemns you. It condemns you to judgment and hell. Thousands of years ago in Egypt, God saved his people by the blood of the lamb. They killed that lamb and placed his blood on the doorposts of their houses and went in. When they did, they were saved, safe and sound. They were under the blood. When the death angel passed through that night, they were spared because they were under the blood. blood. What about you? Are you under the blood today? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to the doorpost and lentils of your heart? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? I hope so. If you haven't, if you haven't, you will face him as your judge one day. If you are in the Valley of Decision right now, come to Jesus. Won't you come to Jesus? One day, Jesus will call this court to order. You need to be sure that you are saved before that day comes. Call on Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you for your sins. And call on Him to save you right now. And you know what? He will. Until then, my friends. Until the next time, that is. Keep looking up and listening for a shout.
0: Jay Michael back as a Christian I can tell you I am eagerly awaiting the day when I am in heaven and joining the throngs in welcoming home the tribulation Saints what a day that's going to be I hope you have already made that decision to join us by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior in our next class we will experience God's undiluted wrath on the earth dwellers in a lesson entitled, The Preparation for the Bold Judgments. Until the next time we meet, keep looking up and listening for the shout.